Why don't you turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 1. I just want to make a couple comments, uh, some things that have been on my mind. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in his hometown, Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That's the way Jesus' ministry starts. And I, and I always like to pause and highlight something that is, is very, to me, self-evident. And that is God, which is the voice from heaven, speaks the words to Jesus. You are my son. Some translations, it might say, you are my beloved son. And I think for me, uh, there was a point in my spiritual journey where, when I really got locked into that phrase because you have to remember, this was before the healings that Jesus does. This is before the teachings that Jesus does. This is before the redemption of the crowds. It's before anything happens. And God says, look, Jesus, before you do anything, you need to know. You are my beloved son. And you need to hear that this morning. You are God's beloved son and daughter. Before anything you do, before the highs or the lows, that is a truth that the more I learned to live in it changed my life. Uh, And I want to talk actually a little bit about how we think about our lives this morning. Um, and I want to talk about um, how we sometimes lose sight or maybe never have sight of that idea of what is it that God would say to us? What, how do we think about our lives? I was reading this week about uh, how psychologists, some of psychologists describe the way people think about our lives. And I stumbled across this phrase from this Northwestern University psychologist. He talks about something called narrative identities. And, and, and the point that he was trying to make is that we construct a story of our life. And our stories have heroes and villains and plot points. And as we construct them, we interact with them. And then the story that we're writing uh, to ourselves starts to act on us. So if you've lived any length of time, and I asked you, you know, to sit down and tell me your story, you would probably say, oh man, well, you know, this really important thing happened to me. And this person was really important. And we could probably extract, you know, like I said, heroes and villains. Uh, But here's the deal. As we start to construct our narrative identity, psychologists would say that Um, we start to tell ourselves a particular story made up of the facts, and our memories start to play tricks on us. So, as your narrative identity develops, maybe your story is sort of a a happy ending type of story, uh, or maybe it is a story that is trending a different direction. And as that happens, your memory will start to remember certain facts more than others. You'll remember good things or bad things depending on your 
perspective and the story that you are living in. And the more you do that, the more your story almost becomes self-perpetuating. You remember more bad things. And then even sometimes psychologists would say, you can remember the same fact, but the same fact could either have a positive memory or a negative memory. The example they used was, you know, a, 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 an adult that might be remembering when their, uh, when their parents or somebody taught them how to swim. And the way they taught them how to swim was maybe they took me to the dock on a lake and they threw me off the dock into the lake. Well, depending on your story, you could say, that was a moment where my parents said, I trust you, you can do this. Or it was a moment of abandonment. So, we make, uh, from these narrative identities, we, we make narrative choices that tell the story that we, we, uh, we start to embody. And, and I want to put this in another way before we move on, because uh, in my mind, I like to think of sometimes my story as, and, and other people I know, their stories, as theme songs. So in the same way that you might tell yourself, I have a story, maybe you have a theme song. And so I want to give you a couple examples of what your theme song, different people's theme songs might be. So maybe your theme song is like this. So Maybe if I got to know you, I'd say, tell me your story. And you'd say, I'm walking on sunshine. I'd say, well, tell me more. And you'd go, I'm walking on sunshine. I'd go, tell me more. You said, walking on sunshine. Tell me more. I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa. And don't it feel good? <laughs> we all know people that, 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 they're, that they're just blessed with joy, right? But not everybody's story is like that. So maybe your theme song might be something else. Might be, maybe it's like this. Gone so glad. Maybe your story is, is a little bit more challenging. And, and this song is about somebody who is experiencing a loss of, of a person or a relationship or you know, a spouse or a lover. And yet, uh, there's a piece of them that says, look, if you come around again, uh, I'll take the chain off my door. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But there's a sense of loss and abandonment. Maybe your story is something different. Maybe your story looks a little bit like this. I'm living in that 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. Maybe if I was honest, if you were honest with me, you'd say, you know what? My life is about uh, taking life, seizing life by the horns. And I'm living in this culture and I'm going to do something mean. I'm going to inflict some pain on this culture. And uh, the haters can scream all they want. I don't care. 
And every superhero needs his theme music, you know, right? Uh, It's a little bit over the top. But maybe if you were honest with me, you'd say, yeah, man, I feel like that's what I'm here to do. Or maybe your theme music, your theme music at one point uh, like, would be a little bit like what was my theme music for a long time in my life, and it would sound like this. Oh, the angst. So much angst. Oh, my gosh. That was my uh, theme song for a long time, probably a man, a decade. It struggled. That narrative struggled against my narrative with Jesus, right? Because I'm a melancholy personality to begin with. So it's no great leap for me to say, man, life is bittersweet. You know, and sometimes this is, feels like, like I'm just governed by this pursuit of money to make ends meet, and then I die, Right? So there's, a, there's, there's theme songs and narratives that all of us have. And, and I think we can't, uh, we can't overestimate this enough. We're all living in some story. Now those same psychologists would say, broadly speaking, we either have narratives of redemption or contamination. That's the way they put it. So either your life, broadly speaking, has been, uh, has been a, a collection of interactions, struggles, joys, gifts, loss. It's the same collection, but for different people, that can result in redemption. But some of us, depending on how we frame that, can say that same collection starts meaning that I'm not worth it or that somehow I've lost something. And so... Uh, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about, about some of the narratives that I've heard uh, people in this community and other people that I know have said. So maybe your narrative is like this. Maybe your narrative is that you feel like your life ended at some point, uh, especially in the sense of maybe for a while you, you felt like your life was trending upward and there was an excitement to what was coming next. And then at some point, you would just say, man, it, it froze. You know, maybe it was high school. Maybe it was college. Maybe it was your first job. Maybe it was that one job where everything seemed to come, or come together for you. The financial reward, the engagement. But then, like, something happened. And when you look back at that, you say, that was when I peaked. And ever since then, I think my life has either been just moving laterally or maybe even trending downward. And you would say, the narrative of my life is that it's never going to be that good again. And so you have to live in that narrative. Maybe your narrative is like this. Maybe uh, some, at some point in your life, you were taught or you learned somehow that the world cannot be trusted and that the only thing standing between you and disaster is, you know, like this, or a checkbook. 
And so your narrative has been the thing that builds a, a dike or a bastion between my, me and my family and disaster is money, money, money. And so you build it up. But then over time, maybe that narrative keeps changing. And eventually, you've lost sight maybe of of the good intention maybe of taking care of yourself with money and your family with money. And now it's become, I just run and run and run and run and run. And I work 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 because somehow money has become the only reason I exist. And if I didn't have this much in my checkbook, I'm afraid everybody would leave me. Maybe that's the narrative that you live out. Maybe your narrative is this, that sometime when you were young, something happened to you. Something was done to you. You were a victim of a tragic crime and abuse. And that the narrative has then been written out in your life that that you're somehow damaged goods. And that you're not worth the love of another human being or or the love of of a savior, right? And, and And that shame and that sorrow of your narrative, it seems to just stain and, and kind of get, crowd itself into every relationship that you have. That there's this core of you that says, man, the story that got written in my life through no fault of my own was that I am damaged. Maybe the narrative that you live is that uh, at some point, maybe early on in your life, you discovered in your family or in some really important group of people that if you uh, somehow fail or somehow don't measure up to standards, and and you get upset about it, that the feelings that you have as a child are unacceptable in 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 this family. And so you learn to perform. Maybe the narrative that you write is that if I perform and I keep people entertained or I keep people laughing and I keep people focused on the gifts and the talents that I have, they are happy with me. And the narrative that you write over time becomes such that uh, feelings that you have become all of a sudden harder and harder to identify in yourself or even have. And so that all that gets left is the performer. And while you're on stage, performing is a helpful thing. But if you try to build a friendship or a marriage off of performing, it doesn't go very well. So maybe your narrative is such, you know, somewhere along the way, I I started just to learn to perform for people, maybe literally or maybe just out there. I have the mask on, and now I'm at a point in my life, maybe I'm married or maybe I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm struggling to have friendships, but I found that I can't get rid of the performer. He's there. Maybe that's you. Maybe your narrative is something else. Well, let me tell you whether your narrative is or any of those things. 
whether your narrative is something else, I want, I want to tell you, there's good news. There's good news. Because we've been invited into another narrative. And it's free. Romans chapter 6. Paul, uh, early church leader, writes uh, similar words. Paul also wrote, wrote those words in Colossians that Dan read. These are very similar words. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So Paul is, in Paul's writings, he's consumed and he's very uh, preoccupied with this one phrase that comes up over and over again in his writings. And it is the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. For Paul, that's what it means to be saved. Paul says, if you're saved, you are in Christ. And this uh, creates all sorts of interesting touch points for what narrative you live out. Because essentially, uh, for, for Jesus and for us, one way to think about this idea of being in Christ is that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. Whatever happens in Jesus' life or happened in Jesus' life happens to us. So, real quick, when Jesus is baptized at Mark chapter 1, that's why we can say, look, if we are in Christ, what's true of Christ is true of us. And if Christ is the beloved Son of God, guess what? So am I and so are you. Paul goes on and unpacks this a little bit more. So verse four, he says, we're therefore buried with him through baptism. There's this weird unity that has happened to us, this cosmic unity that happens to us with Jesus through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And get this, there's no uncertainty about this. Paul's like, look, if you're in Christ, this is a reality. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I always like to say this. You guys understand that resurrection is not just your old life again. Right? Resurrection is not resuscitation. Resurrection is transformation. So if you have a new life in Jesus, trust me, it is not just the old life repeated and going to church on Sunday now. The life in Jesus, the new life, is, is different. It is transformed and redeemed. So verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified. It was crucified, not maybe, it was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What Paul's trying to say in my vernacular today is our story's changed. The narrative is not the same. Whatever narrative you have brought into the life with Jesus, it's changed. It's not 
the same anymore. And then, listen, uh, skip down a few verses to verse 11. He says, in the same way, count yourselves, what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That phrase there, count yourself, it is a math phrase. I don't like math, but it's there in the Bible, so I have to deal with it. It's a phrase from accounting. So when Paul says count yourself, he's basically saying, look, add it up. This is not about feelings. Eric, do you, do, you're, you're an artist. Eric, do you have squishy feelings about being? No. Paul's like, forget about the squishy feelings, Eric. Just add it up. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. When you, uh, when you were on that cross theologically, spiritually with Jesus, guess what? Something inside of you died. Not because of the squishy feelings and how you feel about it, Eric. It just is because what's true of the Messiah is true of his people. When Jesus raises up out of the grave, guess what, Eric? Somehow you are there too. Your life isn't the same anymore. The narrative that I lived is gone. And just listen. I'm going to just read the words, the phrases from the new life that Paul just describes in here. Listen to this. Paul says, you have a new life. This is just from these words we just read. Your life is a new one, not an old one. It's a new narrative. Your life is now a resurrection life. It's transformed. Count it up, Paul said. Paul says, you are no longer a slave to sin. In fact, that body that was a slave to sin, it doesn't even exist anymore because it's dead. Paul says, You've been set free. You're free. You're free. Count it up. You are living now with Christ, co-living with him. He says, death now has no mastery over you. Shouldn't be afraid of it. It's done. And then he says, you are alive to God. Think about that. God looks at every single one of us who are living in this narrative, and God's like, oh, I know you, and I know you, and I know you. And he's happy about that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video of somebody whose narrative was changed. They don't live in that old story anymore. And so watch the screens and just hear these words. I've always been, oh, I feel like, you know, I've always been a Christian or, you know, I've always been saved, but I've never like publicly put it out there. And I want to, you know, I, I wanna just say that, you know, God, God is my God. He's my Savior. Um, he's in control of my life, you know. Uh, we, you know, went to Christian school my whole life. Um, I grew up in, like, a Christian family, so I've always been, like, surrounded by it. So I have that background, but I've also, like, you know, I've, I've gone through, like, some really, like, not-so-fun times with, um, you know, losing my dad as a freshman in high school, and then, 
Um, you know, like I went through a depression in high school. That was not fun. And then just having Abigail, um, you know, being a single mom and, you know, I wasn't married and like the shame that comes with that or whatever. Like after I had Abigail's when I, it really like kickstarted for me, you know, it just like exploded. I feel like, I don't know, like I've just, it's been so hard going through being a single mom and all that. And it's like, I've had like no other option except to rely on God. And like, he's just, he's always, he's consistent. He's like your rock, you know, really surrendering my heart to God, surrendering Abigail to God. Like that is one thing. It's like, you want to surrender your daughter? Like, you know, I should be taking possession of that. But it's like, no, like that is, Abigail is God's and she's just loaned, or he's just loaned her to me while I'm here on earth. You know, I just need to trust him. And just remember that she's a gift to me, you know. Just throughout my life and growing up and the trials that I've gone through, that's when God has just made himself so real to me. You know, when you when you ask God for something and you, you know, you have full faith in God or like you ask in Jesus' name, I don't know exactly where it is, but like he will answer your prayer, you know, and he will give it to you. And like one of the things I'm like realizing realizing recently is um, yeah and like when I give it to God and like he you know he he has my best interests and he's he's not gonna fail me um, and when I truly am trusting God <laughs> I like I know I can just I can tell that I'm like you know close with him like whenever I'm like praying for something or something's like not going my way it's okay you know it's okay because I don't have to be in control you know he's in control and it's just it's such a peaceful thing and I've it's I've just really experienced that you know I'm just like how can you not believe in God like he's when you really give your heart to him he's there like it's just like I want to live a life where and I want to show that like live a life where like it's hard to show that God doesn't exist you know I just want to be like a light God has just put me at so much like peace you know leaving everything and surrendering everything and just keep like giving it to him and leaving it in his hands and he's just taking such good care of me and you know I just want I just want to show everybody that God is joy and he's love and he loves you and um I don't know I'm just I'm excited I just want to tell everybody <laughs> okay my name is Callie Ostwald and I am a fully devoted follower of Christ Woo! <laughs> was that good Everybody welcome Callie up to the stage, please. Awesome. Man, that is such a killer story. Hey. Good job. Thanks. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Awesome. I'm Callie. <laughs> so listen, I want to I wanna kind of draw something out. Like, I heard, you know, her life, your life was not perfect. You have experienced a collection of good stuff and bad stuff, right? Yes. It's not the stuff in our lives that makes our narrative. Mm -hmm. It is what story you choose for it. And so it's really cool to hear you, like, you've just kind of embraced this narrative. And Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. That's how, you know, I, God is glorified in my life is through all those trials, you know. So let me boast about my weaknesses because it's, you know, God, you know, yeah. he's taking care of me. It's, you know, I'm just... I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at E3, um, so at E3, we, we always accompany, with baptism, there's always accompanying these candles. And uh, even she said it like she just wants to be a light of the world, and that light is one of the central metaphors of our faith. And so we recognize that, that Callie doesn't come to this moment by herself, that other people have helped 
fan into flame the gift of God. And so we always have people who have been critical parts of your life come up and light this candle symbolically. So who are some folks that you would have come up for that? Um, first is my sister, Allison. Um, and then second is my mom, Allison also. And then <laughs> come on, guys. Um, my friend Mark, we've been friends since first grade. Awesome. Um, he's just always pointing me heavenward, and it's just such a blessing to have him in my life. So very yeah, cool. So, and then my little nugget, Abigail. <laughs> so there's, uh, you guys can just take, um, take a match from this candle and just light this candle. That will be Callie's uh, representing her life and her commitment here. So is there, um, is there anybody else you would invite up to just be a part of this moment? With? Um, not anyone in mind, but okay. it doesn't matter. All right. <laughs> Sorry if you thought you were going to be invited. No. It's just, I'm just here, right? So, all right, cool. Well, let's walk over here. So the key word here, guys, is celebration. Like, uh, this is a cool thing. And if you've been around E3, you know that when uh, that there's some hooping and hollering that's that's going about about to happen. Yeah, it's cold. I know. Sorry. That's part of the Bible that we don't tell anybody. You got to be baptized in super cold water. So just, so just come down and put your, actually, put your legs out from underneath you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. Okay, yeah. We're gonna work your core a little bit. Callie, since you profess Jesus as your Savior and you've chosen to follow Him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.